Well, it's a joy to look out on Easter morning and see your faces and your pastel colors and all of those wonderful things. We are delighted to have you here in the presence of the Lord on this glorious uh, Easter morning. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, maybe you're visiting with us for the first time this morning. Uh, we are grateful that you're here. My name is Nate Sheridan. I'm one of the pastors here at Cornerstone. I get the chance to open up God's Word with you and on Easter morning. How amazing is that uh, to be able to do so? And I'm delighted to look at a wonderful text of Scripture from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. But before we look to that uh, text, I want to just note something that you'll see in the Purax in front of you. It's these uh, it's these devotional guides. This is our gift to you this morning as you come and worship with us. We want to encourage you to take one of these uh, from those pew racks. If the pew racks run out uh, in front of you, they're at the back uh, of the sanctuary and also through this door to my left, to your right. Please stop by and grab one of these. These are uh, readings that you'll be able to do, some meditations that you'll have throughout the season of, of Easter. This is actually the beginning of uh, a season in the church calendar where we remember and reflect deeply upon the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and consider its implications. And so there are readings from our ongoing series in the book of Ephesians and also an urging and an encouragement as we here in this local congregation have been memorizing a section from Ephesians chapter 2. Well, you have a new section, Church at Cornerstone, to memorize over the course of the Easter season from Ephesians chapter 3. So don't miss those uh, devotionals, a wonderful opportunity to stay in the Word and to pace in the Word uh, together. Well, as I alluded uh, just then, that we are actually, this text, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, is in the midst of a series a series that we have been uh, in the midst of working our way through this book as a local congregation. And we come to what one commentator referred to as the nutshell of the gospel, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Here we have, in a very succinct fashion, um, two verses of Scripture that speak to us of the very heart of the spiritual dynamics of what we would refer to as, and if you've been around Christians much, you've probably heard the word gospel, which literally just means good news. Um, and we've come today to explore the good news of Jesus Christ. We've come to worship Him. Why do we worship Him? Because we think He is Savior. We think He is Lord we worship him as our God and the one who has redeemed us and the one who has saved us. And we're going to spend some time today thinking about that, that word salvation, um, where it comes from, why Paul uses it here, and what does it mean to be saved. And so be thinking along those lines as we look together at Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9. Let's give our attention here to these verses before us. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The grass withers, the flower fades, 
but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, as we take a few minutes here in your holy word, and as we explore the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we would ask that right now in this room you would know us, that you would come by the Holy Spirit and you would speak clearly, reasonably, compellingly into the minds and the hearts of all of us who are here. Would you bed down any defenses that we may have, any distractions that would, would so easily want to rob us of what you have in store for us here? And would you give us ears to hear, hearts to believe, and ultimately, Lord, wills to obey that which you have called us to in Christ Jesus our Lord. Come and meet with us, we pray, in his holy name. Amen. Well, on Friday morning, that's Good Friday, I had the opportunity to do something I never get the chance to do, and that was be at home. Uh, I, was, I was at home on Good Friday morning, and I was uh, doing some work uh, around the house, taking care of a variety of, of things. And while the house was a buzz there on Friday morning, we had the television on. And it was, you know, it was one of those morning TV shows from one of those major networks, NBC, CBS, you, you know them. And, and one of these shows was just going through their normal programming all the things that they, they do on these shows. Again, you can see that I'm an avid watcher of these shows. I have no idea what they do on these shows. But on this particular morning, Friday morning, having been there, I heard, you know, as I'm buzzing about, I heard we have three religious leaders with us today who's going to, they're going to talk to us about what this season is, is like for various religions. And, and I thought to myself, I, I should listen. I should listen. So I, I had a seat. And there were these three religious leaders uh, from three very different religious uh, traditions. There was a Jewish uh, rabbi, there was a Muslim representative, and there was a, there was a, a, a Christian of sorts. Um, a Christian of sorts on the, on the platform that day. And they were, they were talking about what is this season uh, about. And one of them began to, to talk and, and, and said, you, you know, this season is about, is about new hope. It's about, it's about recognizing that we've come through the winter of, of the world. This winter has been a hard winter. We've had disastrous storms that have taken the lives of, of dozens of, of people all across the southeast. We've had tragic gun violence that has happened uh, very close to home for us here in Franklin and in Nashville and, and senseless uh, violence that has taken place. We have terrible political polarity that's happening in our, our nation across the board, really tearing at the fabric of, of the world. And we're coming, so to speak, through the winter of the world and we're coming now into the springtime where these trees that were, well, just a month ago looked dead, uh, looked completely dead, are now budding and, and becoming full of, of leaves. And it reminds us, what this season is about is it reminds us that we, we can hope for a better world. 
We can, we can labor for a better you and me and labor for and look to a time in which things will be better than they are now. And, and one of the, the anchors uh, said, um, yes, oh, and we do need to, re- I remember how uh, church is so full on, on Easter and, and yet, you know, I, I also need, we need religion more than just a couple of times a, a year. So what are some ways that we could, we could have religion help us become better people and labor for a better world throughout, throughout the year? And they, they spend some time giving some action plans, actually some really helpful action plans, generally speaking. And um, at the end, uh, everyone commenting on how they're so similar and we're all in this together and we're looking forward to the spring and commercials, right? Commercials came and we were done. And I thought to myself, how different the world's take is than the Bible's. How different the world's take is than the Bible's. And that's not actually poking, so to speak, at one religion or another. The Christian representative, I didn't recognize what was said to be to the heart of what Christianity is really even about, or what the Bible speaks to as the reality of what the Christian faith teaches and has historically embraced and known. And I thought to myself, how could I summarize what I just heard? And I, I thought about it in terms of a diagnostic and a prescription. A diagnostic and a prescription. There may be doctors in the house. You do this all the time, right? You, you diagnose and then you prescribe. You, you're, 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 trying to, you're identifying what's wrong and you're trying to, through prescription, um, give direction to what would, would help, what would bring about what's right. But the truth of the matter is we're doing that all the time. You don't have to be a doctor to do that. You're all the time doing that with your children. You're doing that with your finances. You're diagnosing things and you're prescribing things and you're, you're trying to make things better than they, than they are. And the, the world, when you think about the world's understanding of the spiritual life or the religious life, really what we hear is, that the people, we here in this room, people and the world needs improvement. That's the diagnosis. It needs improvement. It's not the way that it ought to be. It, need, it needs improvement. And the prescription is, you have resources to become better people and to make a better world. And here's how you can do it. And the action plan flowed, flowed out of that diagnosis. The world and, and people are not as they ought to be, and it needs improvement. And you, you have, you have the resources to make yourself a better person and make the world a better, a better place. And I thought to myself how different the Bible's instruction is to us on, on this. Because if I could summarize the Bible's message in diagnostic and prescription, if I could distill it down to what the Bible actually says on those matters is that, yes, the world needs improvement. Yes, we need improvement, but the situation's actually much worse than that. Is that people don't just need improvement, people need to be saved. That's what the Bible says. And that's fundamentally different, and we'll talk about that in a minute. And that we, we don't need more resources from which to do good in the world in order to bring about the world that 
that we imagine would, would be brought about, we need a savior for the world. And we need to trust in him. That's what the Bible would say. It's really fundamentally a different, shall we say it, a different gospel. A different news. A, a different message. Uh, from people who need improvement, you have the resources to go become a better person. Here's an action plan and make a difference in the world too. People need to be saved, and there's someone outside the world who's the savior of it, and you need to trust in him. It's a different message. When Paul says, for by grace you are saved through faith, he is in that word saved, which is, do we get any more churchy of a word than saved? right? There is no more churchy word than, than the word saved. You don't have to be a Christian or even close to the church to know that Christians talk a lot about salvation. And, and, and I think for many years that can sound exaggerated, hyperbolic. But for the Bible and for the Bible's understanding of the human person and the predicament we're in, it's consistent with the language that would be appropriate to describe the human condition. The Bible understands the human condition to be desperate beyond help and hope within a person's self and resources. We are without hope, save in His sovereign mercy, His, his grace. So when you think of that word saved, and we don't think about it, to be quite honest, very often we rush past it for many of us, in this room, we've probably been believers for a number of years, and we, we think of that word saved, and we just go right there. We don't think about it, but what do you think of when you, when you think of saved? Well, you don't think, I, I need a little help. You don't think, I could use some extra support, you know? This box is a little heavy. Could you lend a helping hand? Is that what you think of when you think of saved? No. That's what we would think of in the earlier diagnostic of the world's way of viewing. Really, at the end, you just need a little help. You need a little, little support. The Bible says you are helpless. Like, like you, there's no way within yourself or within the help of those who are around you that things are going to turn out or become the way that they ought to become. Like that's not going to happen. The situation is, is desperate. You think, you think of, well, just almost two weeks ago tomorrow of the tragic shooting in Nashville. When you think of saved, do you, can, you think, can you go here with me? You think of those Metro Nashville police who, who entered that, that church, that school to save the lives of those who apart from them would die. That's what you think of. That's different, isn't it? That's different than lending a helping hand. I need a few resources. It said, without this, I will go under. That's what the Bible means when it's talking about saved. Now, here's why this is, this is difficult. Do you feel desperate? Right? Right? Do you feel like you're in a, a crisis circumstance? Do you, do you feel like saved represents what you, you really need? N no, you, you feel right now in this moment, you feel more like, I could just use some more resources. If I could, if I could just find the right book or podcast or 
counselor or whatever, medicine, whatever it would be, if I could just get the extra bump that I need, I think things are going to probably pretty much fall into to place. You think and you feel yourself to be needing of a little improvement. And here's what the Bible would say about that feeling, about that sense that you have and I have. I have it too. Here's what the Bible would say about that sense and that feeling. Your situation is so desperate that you are deceived into that feeling. That's how desperate you are. You don't even see the trouble. You don't even see the crisis. And you trust instinctually the internal assessment of things. I, you, know, I, you know, I had some wins at work. I... I I have a decent marriage. I mean, if I, when I put my head to things and my heart to things, they tend to work out the way that I, I want them to be. That, bar, that barely, barely comes even close to the definition of desperate. That's how we feel. The Bible says you're not looking at the right things. You're not assessing things. The desperateness is actually built on the fact that you are deceived in your heart with the feeling and the sense that things are okay. I had a friend that died a handful of years ago from colon cancer. Before he was diagnosed with, with colon cancer, um, he was having some stomach trouble. And, and he had been taking for several days some, some Pepto-Bismol to help with his, his stomach trouble. Now you, you tell me, did, did that help? No, it didn't help at all. He had misdiagnosed his condition. He thought he needed a little medicine for improvement, a passing something or another. But what he had was a terminal illness that was killing him from the inside out. What he was taking was Pepto-Bismol. We live in a world that is trying to heal cancer with Pepto-Bismol, you understand. That's what we're doing. We're throwing things at problems that are much deeper and beyond the scope of our capacity to actually heal and address and bring peace to. This is why Paul, earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, he's like a good doctor here. He, he shoots us straight. He says, I want you to know you're dead in your trespasses and sins. You, you are, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. You have, from birth, you have a selfish inclination that moves towards yourself, has an impulse towards sin rather than towards those things which are good and right and true. We said last week, just in here, right, we've never had, no one has ever had a child and had to teach them to do wrong. Right? It just kind of comes with the territory. It comes with the nature of things. What do you have to teach them to do? The right thing. The nature is bent in the, in the wrong direction at its very, very core. The scripture says that we're dead in our trespasses and sin. We're under the, the wrath of God. We're by nature, it says. That's the reality of it. Adam and Eve, when they committed that first sin in the Garden of Eden that the Bible speaks of in Genesis, everyone since then who's come down through the generations has inherited the reality of that sinfulness. And so we come into the world... Going the wrong way. And so there's no just something you can mix in to change the nature of the thing. You need something. It's a more desperate condition. 
Now again, maybe you think to yourself, well, when you talk about dead in sin and under the judgment of God, good grief. I mean, what kind of sinner do you think I am? Right? I mean, surely, yes, okay. Hitler, right, Mussolini, that's fine. But it's just little old me who's doing things here in Franklin, Tennessee. Okay, I fudge the truth occasionally, right? I sometimes, okay, yesterday I coveted my neighbor's new car. Okay, I did that. All right, it happened. But I'm not really dead in my trespasses. I'm not really under the judgment of God. And here's, here's again, this is a sign. If you're doing that kind of judgment in your mind right now, I, I, I just, again, I think I'm compelled by the word of God to tell you, that's a sign of your desperate condition. That rationalizing that you're doing right now, that all of us have a tendency to do. There's not a one in here that's not doing that, you understand. Doesn't struggle with doing that. That rationalizing, that's a symptom of your desperateness. That's the depth of the issue. You're trying right now to distinguish yourself something different from what the Bible is actually calling all of us into. Because what's actually happening is you're not seeing sin for what sin is because you don't know God for who God is. It's, it's not the horror of sin, the tragedy of sin, the that shall we put it this way, the sinfulness of sin, isn't, isn't a, you're not aware of it. You're not alerted to it because you don't understand as, well, what Jesus said about it. You remember what Jesus said about it in the Sermon on the Mount? You, ask, you tell me how you do on this. He says, you know, it's not just the murderers who, who have broken the law. It's those who have been unrighteously angry in their hearts towards someone else. It's not those who have committed adultery with their bodies that have just broken the law. It's those who have looked on another person lustfully in their heart. It's not those who have whispered the swear word of Jesus' name in vain. It's those who thought about doing it who are guilty of the law. And James tells us that if if we have broken any part of the law, then we're guilty of the whole of the law. That's what the Bible teaches us. Now, if we're going to take the Bible seriously, we can't just say, I mean, here's the reality. We can't just say, oh, we love God, and isn't this great, and all of these, these things. And then, then when he speaks to us, we go, yeah, I don't, I don't think that's right. That option is really not available to us. We either, we either believe what it is that he tells us, or we don't, which, which tells us whether we follow him or we don't. And we want to have the integrity to be able to say one or the other. And, and maybe, maybe you're saying, well, based upon what you're describing today, I don't. I don't, I don't follow him based upon those definitions. Who in the world could possibly do all of that perfectly? You're onto something. Stay with that thought. That's why we're here, you see. What's beginning to dawn on you is the truth. It's just beginning. It's just beginning. What's beginning to dawn on you is the question, well, there's no way I could be able to do those things which I'm called to do. And of course, that is, that is the very point. But let's just say you get to the point in, your, in this whole discussion this morning and you say to yourself, I still can't buy the terms of the argument. We'll put it in that frame. I can't buy the terms of the argument of the Bible and how it reveals itself. Well, here's a reality that you will have to come to terms with, and it centers around everything that we're about here this morning, and that is the reality of death. Tell me this. Do bad people die? 
by your definition? It's not a trick question. Yes is the answer. Okay? Now, 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 by your definition, just by your definition, not even by the Lord's definition, I'm just interested in yours, do good people die? You see what I'm getting at? You will have to deal with that. You will have to deal with that. Now, it could be that you think that there's a fly in the scientific ointment of the body, and that's the reason at some point our lungs quit breathing or our brain doesn't function or our heart doesn't beat. But the Bible actually has an explanation for that. It could be that you're a sinner. You may be, in your mind, not a bad sinner. You may be a good sinner in your mind, so to speak. But at the end, you both die. What will you do then? You know, that's really the question of Easter morn, isn't it? Why is Easter considered the high holy day of the Christian calendar? Because we know as we just confessed from 1 Corinthians 15 earlier that the entirety of our faith is absolutely nothing if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. Friends, this is foolishness if Jesus didn't raise from the dead. You understand that? Why would you waste your time following a dead Savior? If he hasn't dealt with the greatest enemy that no one on planet earth has figured out to lick, then why would you follow him? You, you know, it was interesting listening to those three representatives from the, from the faith, and they, they focused a little bit. I'm back to the morning show. They were focusing about um, gratitude. They said, you know, gratitude, that's one of the things that you could do to bring religion into your life throughout the year to make your, to make your, yourself better and, and the world better. You know what? That's actually a really good instruction. I want to encourage you in, in gratitude. That's a wonderful thing. And they said, you know, one of the things that we do is that when we get up in the morning, I, I, I check. I, say, I do a check. I can see. Thank the Lord for that. I can speak. I, I thank the Lord for that. I'm breathing. I thank the Lord for that. Now, that's a great discipline. I encourage you to do it. There will be a morning when you don't see and you don't speak and you don't breathe. To whom do you give thanks then? That's the question of resurrection morning. That's the question of resurrection morning, you see. This is not instruction for life that has an expiration date. This is instruction for eternity that will forever be true. That's why we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you see. The desperateness of our condition is summarized by Paul in the language of salvation. You see why? Can you get yourself out of this? And the reality of all of Scripture and all of your experience of your being even intellectually honest with yourself this morning, all of your reality is no, I don't have an answer for that. Unless someone has the power over the grave. Do you see when in this text, when Paul says, by grace you have been saved through faith, he means to tell you, you will never be saved by works. Because how in the world are you going to figure out how to get yourself over death and over the reality of the penalty of God's judgment? How are you going to do that on your own based upon everything we've said? You need to be rescued. You have a rescuer. By grace you have been saved is what he's saying. Someone from the outside, the Son of God, has come and he's been made like you in every way. 
He came and he took on the very penalty of your sin on the cross. And on the third day, he rose again from the grave, which is your uh, final enemy. And he, in the way one scholar puts it, he put to death, death on that day. That the resurrection has begun. That's why we're here today. There are people who are dying in the faith all around us. And when you go to a Christian's funeral, you know what you notice? You notice a note of joy and of hope and of expectation. Did you not hear even this week from our, our own chief of police in Nashville as he was hearing young children from covenant rehearse the truth of God's promises in faith that those classmates who died, they will see again. Now, where does that come from? It comes from the Lord, by grace through faith, by learning to trust in Jesus alone for salvation, despairing of all that we are. There's no way, Lord, we can be what it is you've called us to be. There's no way we can overcome death and all of its ravages. There is simply no hope lest you save us, Lord, by grace. Through faith, Lord, I trust in you. I trust in you. I trust in you alone. Just as you have been presented to us in the beauty of the scriptures. You see, that's salvation by grace through through faith. This is not of your doing, he says. It is a gift of God. It is a gift of God. Do you know that that the most well-known scripture in all the Bible... John 3.16 hints at that, doesn't it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes, trusts in him, will be saved, right? Whosoever believes in him will be saved. What did I skip over? Shall not perish. Isn't that truly... Friends, do you notice yourself when we start talking about death? Do you notice something inside of you that is scared to death? Do you find yourself completely unsettled with no place to hope and to grasp? In this moment, you see, if that unsettledness was to be brought to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith, to trust in him, you would find a peace that surpasses all comprehension for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why is it that Christians can, in a funeral, sing those truths? Well, the Wesleys said it right. They were asked years ago why their their group of of Christians, the, the Wesleyans that would become Methodism in American Christianity, why their their faith was, was growing. And, and the, the answer was very simple. Do you remember what it is? It was, it was a simple word. Our people die well. When the worst comes to them, they can stare it at the face. And they can look through it to a Savior who has overcome the grave. Can you do that today? Can you do that today? Today is the day of salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Father in heaven, would you teach us these truths and cause us in in every way to live by their light.
Right now, there's going to be many things in our minds that's going to make us doubt and question and consider differently and come up with alternate explanations, all of which is simply a sign of our desperateness. When you today are making known to us the good news of Jesus Christ, Lord, today, break open hard hearts. Replace hearts of stone with hearts of flesh. And today, give the gift of faith. Let us despair of all of the ways we've imagined ourselves better than we actually are. And let's look to Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith, who today rules and reigns on high, and in whom this tomb that he was laid remains empty. In this we rejoice. And in this is our hope. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.